0: One of the great things about First and 2 Samuel, the books that we've been studying together as a church, is the incredible cast of characters. No other books in the Bible have such a rich group of characters. I mean, think about them. We've looked at people like Hannah and Eli, Samuel, Saul, David, Goliath, Doeg, Abigail, Nabal, Jonathan, Michael, Uzzah. Uh, Absalom, Bathsheba, Joab, Abner, and the list goes on and on. These are some of the most rich and interesting characters in all of the scripture, and they're all collected together in this, in these great books that we've been looking at. And one of the most powerful things about them as characters is that it's so easy when you're reading these stories to, to find yourself living out what's going on in their lives. And sometimes it feels like you're reading your life on the page. I know there are uh, a number of women, for example, who feel like they're living Hannah's story. That back in September, uh, God had impressed upon at least a a couple of them uh, that they were to pray earnestly and to ask God that he would give them children when they have not been able to have children. And God has heard and responded. And it's like they're reliving her story. I know many of us as we're reading about Saul uh, and the wonderful things he did, but also the way he struggled with insecurity and arrogance that many of us reading these words on the page thought we were looking in a mirror. I know too that when we came to David, that for many of us, we were able to engage with David when he was angry with the Lord and we resonated with those emotions and we felt like we were walking in David's shoes as he was grieving over the loss of a loved one or when he was rejoicing in God's blessings. And the great thing about these characters is so easy to find yourself in the story. And that realize that God is speaking not just history, but talking to us today narrating the events of our lives and guiding us through those things. The cool thing about that is is that means that every time you come to 1st and 2nd Samuel, you can read it differently because you'll read it through the eyes of a different character. That maybe uh one time through your Saul and another time through your David. And that's good because this morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that we've already looked at less than a year ago. Last Easter we spent time in 2 Samuel 9 looking at the story of David and Mephibosheth. But the great thing is is that this morning we can actually come at that passage through a different set of characters and through a different set of lenses. Last Easter we looked at it and as we looked at the story of David and Mephibosheth, We looked at it from this perspective, that David represented God the Father. Jonathan represented Jesus. And we were Mephibosheth. And it's really a story of God's saving grace, that God, the king of the universe, that we were his enemy because of our connection to the kingdom of darkness, our connection to Satan, that we were born spiritually crippled, unable to help ourselves. But God the Father in His kindness and His mercy blessed us with a seat at the table not because of anything we had done but because of His Son, because of His relationship with Jesus and Jesus' righteousness and obedience that when we by faith accept Jesus as our Lord then all the blessings of God come to us not because we've earned them but because of Jesus. That was really the message last week as we looked uh, at the passage from Second Samuel 7, that God is offering to each and every person here a kingdom, a, a, an opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God, to have a seat at the king's table. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the covenant God is making with us through Jesus. That's an incredibly powerful way to understand what is God is doing. But this morning we're going to come to this exact same story. But this time we're going to be different characters. And it's a different perspective. It's equally valid. This time, instead of David representing God the Father, David is us. And Mephibosheth, he represents those people in our lives who may be struggling or may be in a particular area be seeming uh, seem to be less fortunate than we are. So for example, Mephibosheth might be somebody in our lives who has special needs. Mephibosheth might be somebody that we know in our lives who maybe suffered from the horrors of uh, abuse as a child. Mephibosheth may be the student who's new to our school, who doesn't have any friends and is moving into a strange situation and doesn't know anybody. Mephibosheth Represents perhaps the orphan that you're adopting from Uganda, that you're inviting into your family. Mephibosheth can represent the widow or the widower who's lost their spouse and in many ways is is, is suffering and struggling with that. Mephibosheth represents the prisoner, the unemployed or the underemployed, the weak, those struggling with physical illness. And as we come to this story, we want to look how we as David can bless those that God has put in our lives. Now, there's one important truth. If we're going to approach this text from this perspective, which is a very valid way to read the text, there's one important truth that we have to understand or we won't be able to read this text correctly. And the truth is this. Every single human being is equally loved and valued by God. But God manifests his blessings in our lives differently. Okay? God loves every single human being exactly the same. Everybody has equal value in God's eyes. It's not like David is loved more than Mephibosheth in fact just a couple of chapters ago in Second Samuel 7 God said to David hey remember where you came from you were the youngest child of a no-name family living in a no-name town and you were on the lowest social wrong you were a shepherd and David I took you from that place you were a Mephibosheth if you will in society's eyes There was nothing that David had going for him from the world's point of view when it came to power or money or a strong name or connections or any of those things. And God says to David, I took you from that place as a Mephibosheth and I brought you here today to be king. Not because of anything David did, but because God was kind to him. So now in Mephibosheth's case, this is a time in which God's going to bless him by the end of this story that Mason just read for us. Mephibosheth is going to be dining at the king's table. God doesn't love David more than he loves Mephibosheth. He doesn't love Mephibosheth. He loves them and values them absolutely equally. But it is true that his blessings manifest themselves differently in their lives. At the beginning of the story, When it comes to being in a position of power or finances or influence, David is experiencing God's blessings in a different way than Mephibosheth is at the beginning of the story. If David's not willing to acknowledge that, well, then the story can't happen. He can't be a blessing to Mephibosheth if he doesn't realize that, yes, even though Mephibosheth and I are equally loved and valued by God, there are some things that God has granted to me that I can now turn around and bless him with. So it's true for us. Every single person in this room, no matter your background, no matter your struggles, no matter your experiences, no matter what you've been through, is equally loved and valued by God. God doesn't love anybody in this room more than another person. It just, he he can't. He doesn't. But every single person in this room has been blessed by God in some way in which you are perhaps more blessed than people around you it might be in the area of finances it might be in the area of spiritual giftedness it might be in the area of family or relationships or experiences that you've had it might be in the area of health it might be in the area of intellectual capacity in some way God has poured out his blessings upon you not everybody is blessed by God the same he blesses us all but differently Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is expected. He tells a story about giving to one person five talents, uh, to another, or one person ten talents, five talents, one talent, that he gives, them, uh, he gives to everybody differently. Now, if we're willing to accept that, what that means is, is that in many cases, you may be David and I may be a Mephibosheth. For example, in the area of money, you may be in the position of David and I may be in the position of Mephibosheth. It doesn't mean that God loves you more than he loves me. It just means that God has chosen to manifest his blessings in your life in that area more than he has in my life. And that's fine. When it comes to connectedness at this church, I may be David and you may be Mephibosheth. It's not that God loves me more than he loves you. It may be that you're new to the church and that I've been here for a long time and I have connections to people. But in every case, all of us have something, many things that we can point to in which God has been so kind to us and poured out his blessings upon us. And if you're willing to accept the truth that every single person is equally loved and valued by God, but God manifests his blessings in different ways in all of our lives... Then we're ready to ask the question, how do we, in the areas in which God has blessed us, how do we use those to bless others? How do we use, how do we be David to the Mephibosheths that God has placed in our lives? So take your Bible, if you're not already there, and turn to 2 Samuel 9. And what I want to give you from this story is five principles for how you and I should go about being David. How we should go about blessing others in our lives who may be in a position of struggling or in an area seem to be less fortunate or God's blessings are less obviously manifested. How do we go about being David to the Mephibosheths that God has allowed in our lives? Five principles. The first one, comes out of verse number one in our story. Notice what it says. David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? The first principle is that David takes the initiative with Mephibosheth. That if we're going to be a blessing to others in an area in which God has blessed us, the burden of initiative falls on our shoulders. It's not like Mephibosheth comes to David begging for food. He doesn't show up and say, hey, look, I know you're king now, but remember, my dad and you, you were good friends. Is there any way you could spare a little bit of money? Is there any way that you can help me out? That's not how this works. David is the one who says, look at how God has blessed me. Who now can I turn around and bless? And he takes the initiative to go and find someone to bless. So if you're here and you're, say, a high school student, and maybe you've had the privilege of growing up in the church and you have got lots of friends here. And when you go to United uh, on Sunday nights, you feel like you can't wait to get there because you've got lots of people to talk to and lots of people connect to. And maybe you go there tonight uh, and there's somebody who's sort of standing in the corner that doesn't have a lot of people that they know or a lot of people to talk to. The point of this passage is it's not their job to come to you. It's your job to go to them. It's for you to take the initiative. It's for you to go and to say to them, hey, why don't you come join us over here? Why don't you sit with me tonight? That's what David does. David's been blessed by God and he takes the initiative to go be a blessing. Same thing, many of you here this morning have been blessed by God in the area of spiritual maturity. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe people have poured into your life. Maybe some people have come along when you were immature in the faith and walked with you and worked with you and helped you grow so that you're a lot more like Christ than you were 10 years ago or five years ago or 15 years ago. If that's the case and God's blessed you in that area, then go and find somebody you can be a blessing to. That there's got to be people in your life who are not as far along in their Christian faith. Don't wait for them to come to you. It's easy for us to sit around and go, yeah, if anybody wants to be mentored, I'd be glad to mentor them. If anyone needs help, I'd be glad to help them. As soon as they come and ask me, I will just, I I drop everything to go help them. That's good. But that's not what David does. David says, Lord, you have blessed me in this area. I want to go find, go find somebody. Go ask them, hey, can I show kindness to you the way others showed kindness to me? Can I help you in your spiritual walk? Can I come alongside of you? And the first principle is, is that David takes the initiative. The person who has experienced the blessings of God, it falls on our shoulders to go and find others that we can bless. It's not for them to come and beg us for blessing. Second principle. Notice in verse number three, the king asks, is there still no, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, he is crippled in both feet. Now Ziba, who you heard in the story, he's been working for Saul for a long time. It seems that he's sort of uh, Saul's facilities manager, that when Saul was king, Ziba seemed to be in charge of his lands or seemed to be in charge of uh, Saul's holdings in that sense. He's worked for Saul for a long time. What that means is he's known Mephibosheth for a long time. But it's interesting that he won't refer to him by name. He just simply says, yes, Jonathan's got a kid, but he's a cripple. See, Ziba doesn't think of himself as being an equal with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is below him. He's beneath him. But notice the difference when David interacts with Mephibosheth. Verse number 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. And the second principle is that David calls him by name. At somewhere between verses 3 and verse 6, David has gone to the trouble to figure out what what this boy's name is so that he can address him by name. Ziba doesn't bother to call him by name, but David does. There's something about using someone's name that communicates great dignity, that encourages them, that lifts them up. Mr. Herm and Ms. Pat have taught Sunday school at Calvary Church for a long time. Many of you uh, either have had them or your kids have had them. All four of our kids have had the privilege of having Mr. Herm and Ms. Pat as their Sunday school teachers. One thing that Herm and Pat do uh, that's so great is that when we're walking together as a family, I see them doing it with our family and with lots of families, is what they do is the first thing they do when they see a family is they talk, not to the parents, but to the children and call them each by name. You should see the effect it has on them. It just lifts their spirits and their dignity. And in that moment, it communicates to these children. Hey, look, you're not some tag along with your parents who were waiting for you to grow up until you matter to God. It communicates, no, you matter to God right now. You matter enough for me to know your name. And when Herman Pat do it, it's just beautiful. That's what David does. Mephibosheth is a person. He's not some cripple. He's a person with a name. And David addresses him by name. Third principle, not only does David take the initiative and David address him by name, David gives Mephibosheth meaningful work while still acknowledging his physical limitations. David gives to Mephibosheth meaningful work while still acknowledging his physical limitations. Verse number seven, don't be afraid, David said to Mephibosheth, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now later on in the story, you heard it read that David assigned to Zeba the job to actually farm the land. Well, that's because Mephibosheth is not physically capable of farming the land. The job David gives to Mephibosheth is to manage the land. He can do that. Notice David doesn't just say, hey, Mephibosheth, don't worry about money, don't worry about anything, I'll take care of you, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. That's not what he does. What he does is he gives him an assignment that he can do meaningful work that he can participate and contribute. He still understands Mephibosheth can't farm the land. It'd be horribly insulting to just give him land and say, go farm it. But it would also be insulting to imply that there's nothing of value that Mephibosheth has to offer because he has a physical limitation. And so what David does is he gives him the land and says, it's yours, you manage it, do a good job with it. That's meaningful work. One of the things I love about our special needs ministry here at Calvary Church is that the people who are involved in that special needs ministry are engaged in working at the church to the extent in which they're able or capable. Uh, I think about Katie, uh, who does such a great job as a greeter and who works in the nursery. I think about her sister, Christy, who cleans the toys Uh, that our kids play with in the nursery she also helps prepare the boxes that perhaps your kids are benefiting from this morning i think about greg and jeff and mary who are on our staff here at the church and work in the facilities area and they do a great job and they work hard at it and what they're doing is is good work and it's important work i think about beverly who helps out even though she is part of the special needs ministry. She helps out with movie night when it's time uh, for that ministry to be doing movie night. She, she participates and contributes. This is not token work. This is meaningful work. This is stuff that we need done at the church. This is part of God's kingdom. And they're engaged in meaningful work. Yes, there are certain limitations and we have, we all have limitations, But within those, there are also things that they can contribute and they add an incredible value. And that most of you, most of us probably didn't realize that when we picked up an activity box for our children or dropped our children off in the nursery or came in and were greeted, that there's so many things going on here. That people from our special needs ministry are actively engaged in doing important work in God's kingdom. That what David gives to Mephibosheth It gives him meaningful work to do, work that matters, while still taking into account the limitations that he has. Fourth principle from David's interaction with Mephibosheth. David is extravagantly generous with him. He's very generous. The way God has blessed David, David now turns around and blesses Mephibosheth. God has made David from nothing into being a king. David takes Mephibosheth really from a nothing to being a prince. And he seats him at his table. And he gives him all the blessings that go with being a child of the king. That is incredibly generous. You know, there's one thing you can never say about God. You can never say that God is stingy. And David realizes, look, if God's been generous to me, when it's my turn, Shouldn't I be generous to those around me? There's a pastor in our church on staff here who uh, a little while ago, uh, his car broke down. And uh, he and I meet together and we were meeting together and he said, well, could you pray? Could we pray together? You know, he didn't have the money to fix the car. <clears throat> and so we were praying about getting the car fixed and asking the Lord, Lord, uh, you've, got, you've got lots of financial resources. We need some help here. Uh, a little while after that, maybe a few days later, uh, the pastor came to me. He's like, you're never going to guess what happened. Turns out God had provided a David, uh, a David to come along and, uh, and to bless him. And so the pastor's telling him this story and he tells it to me. He says, you know how like, you know, how when you go to the mechanic or whatever and you've got your cars broken, there's kind of the fix that you can do that is the least expensive fix. That's kind of the band-aid where you just you know it's, you're going to be able to use the car but it's not really we've not really fixed the problem yet or the other side is going to break you know it's coming but you don't have time to fix that one yet and then there's the fix where you go in and you just do it right it's always more expensive, isn't it? so this pastor is telling me you're never going to guess what this David that God put in my life did this David said to him look, I want you to go get your car fixed the way I would fix my wife's car for her not the way you would normally fix your car for you. Isn't that a great line? Yeah. Look, go spend the money to get this thing fixed right. Do it the way I would want to do it for my wife and my kids because they matter to me. That's really generous. But then the pastor, on you know what he did after that? He found out we still owed money on the car and he paid the rest of it off. Wow. That's generosity. That's Now, it doesn't mean that God loves that person more than he loves this pastor. It just means in the area of finances, God had blessed this other person and it was his opportunity to be financially generous. That's what David does. He says, look at what God has done for me. He's just opened up the floodgates of heaven and poured it out on me. And so he turns around and he does the exact same thing for Mephibosheth. And he says, look, I don't want to just give stuff to you. I want to spoil you. I want to just... I just want to be generous to you like God's been generous to me. Fifth principle, and this one is uh, by far and away the most important. All the other four lead up to this fifth and final principle. And it's this. David treats Mephibosheth as a son. Now what I don't mean by that is that if you had walked with David into his dining room, that he would have said, here, look, here are my sons sitting at my table, and look, there's Mephibosheth. Everything that they have, he has as well. That's not what I mean when I say David treats him as a son. What I mean is is that if you had walked in with David into his dining room, he would have said, here are all of my sons, Mephibosheth included. Meaning he didn't just treat him the way he treated his sons, meaning he treated him as his son. Now we know that not as much from this passage because this passage simply tells us about their first meeting. But that kind of relationship, that father-son relationship, that takes time to develop. And later on in 2 Samuel, Mephibosheth's name is mentioned again in the story. Some years have gone by. He's been eating every day at the king's table. The problem is somebody else seated at the king's table, a man named Absalom, who is David's son, decides he'd like to be king instead of his father. And so he, uh, he exercises a coup and David realizes his life is in danger. And so he's fleeing from Jerusalem. And as he's leaving, as he's leaving the city out there to meet him, as he's going, is Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant. Ziba's out there with a string of donkeys and he's got food and provisions to give to David who's racing out of Jerusalem as fast as he can to try to save his life. David says to Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? Why didn't he come? And Ziba says to David, as soon as Mephibosheth heard the news that there was a coup, he figured, finally my day has come. Israel's going to give me back the kingdom that belonged to my grandfather Saul. David, obviously heartbroken, goes on his way. A few chapters later, we find that God has helped David in the midst of his son's rebellion against him. And David's been victorious. And as he's coming back into the city, this time Mephibosheth is there to meet him. And he's clearly been in mourning and he's clearly been suffering. But David says to him, Well, where were you the first time? Where were you when I was leaving? And Mephibosheth says, I wanted to be here, but I couldn't. I couldn't get my donkey. I don't, I'm not physically able to get my donkey ready. And I asked Ziba to do it and he wouldn't do it. He betrayed me and he came and he lied to you and he slandered me to your name. Now, the interesting thing about the way those two stories are told in 2 Samuel is God never tells us who's telling the truth. There's no way to know. I mean, on one hand, Ziba's story is very plausible. It's very plausible. Mephibosheth is Saul's only grandson. There's lots of people in the kingdom who still think Saul uh, has some sort of claim to the throne. There was always a danger by taking Mephibosheth in. Yes, he's the son of David's friend, but he's the grandson of David's enemy. There was always a danger in taking Mephibosheth in, which, by the way, anytime. We try to pass on God's blessings to others. There's always a danger involved. There's always a risk involved. There's always a risk that those blessings are going to be misused or taken advantage of or the person won't be grateful. So it's very plausible that Mephibosheth has been biding his time waiting for this moment to be able to move into a position of power. But on the other hand, it's also equally plausible that Mephibosheth has been betrayed by Ziba. Ziba doesn't seem to like Mephibosheth very much. It's very plausible that Ziba is lying. But the amazing thing is God never tells us in the text. There is no indication, there's no narrator's comment which tells us which way it goes. And there's no evidence for us to know. And not only is there no evidence for us to know, there's no evidence for David ever to know. What's really the truth? But what's so interesting is David's reaction. When you have two equally plausible stories and no evidence as to how to decide between them, David sides with Mephibosheth. It's because he views him as his son. You see, if Mephibosheth was just a charity case and David had even the slightest hint that his charity was being abused and he now had a reason to get out of this that he didn't have to be part of this anymore, he would have jumped at it. But David does what any father does. When your son tells you one story and somebody else tells you an equally plausible story that contradicts, you give your son the benefit of the doubt. That's what David does with Mephibosheth. That's how we know that he's not just treating him the same way he treated his sons, but that he views him as a son. the most important Hebrew word in 2 Samuel 9 is the Hebrew word chesed it's a very important Old Testament word that shows up throughout the Old Testament it's the word in the verses that I read for you verse 1, verse 3, and verse 7 it's translated as kindness but that's way too weak of a translation chesed represents God's faithful love. It's the same love that God said to David, I will not remove my love from your descendants. Same word. I will never take my faithful love from him. It's the word that David uses of his feelings for Jonathan and Jonathan uses of his feelings for David. That in 1 Samuel, when the two are addressing one another, they're talking about this commitment to one another, this loyal love, this faithful love, the love that says, look, I'm going to be here when bad things happen, that I'm going to endure with you. That what David is asking at the beginning is not, is there somebody I can show charity to, I can show kindness to? What he's asking is, is there somebody I can enter into a relationship with? For the sake of Jonathan. Is there somebody I can be a blessing to? Not just a free handout. But an actual blessing to them. After all this is how God treats us. We're not a charity case. In God's mind. He's not waiting for us to mess up. Or for there to be a hint of us messing up. So he can finally be free of his obligation. Of having to bless us. That's not how he views us. He views us as his sons and daughters that he's he's, look I'm here with you I'm not going anywhere even if you and I mess up which we do he doesn't remove his love from us because he is loyal to us he's not viewing us with an eye of suspicion saying okay well let's see how you do with this whole uh, salvation thing And aha one mess up I'm free finally that's not how he views this And that's not how David views Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is not a charity case. He's now David's son. And David loves him with that faithful, loyal love. This is why if you are a high school student and you're going to go to United this evening and you see the person who's standing over there by themselves, the point of this passage is not just to go over and talk to them, The point of the passage is go over and befriend them. Enter into a relationship with them. That if God has blessed you uh, with uh, some spiritual growth and maturity and you're going to turn around and mentor somebody else, what this passage means is you don't just teach them God's word. You open up your life to them. And you share your life with them. That whatever comes, good or bad, you walk the road with them. That when it comes to finances, if God's blessed you financially, that it's not simply writing a check, it's entering into a relationship with a person who is in need and not simply saying, well, okay, this one time I think I could probably help you out to say, look, no, I'm here for you. And if I can bless you again tomorrow or next week or however, it's a relationship. This means that if you are adopting an orphan, what you're doing is you're taking them into your family, that if God's put upon your heart foster care, that what you're doing is not simply collecting a check from the state and taking care of somebody, but that you're welcoming them into your life. If God's placed an elderly person who is lonely and has no other real family with your family, what it means is take them into your family, establish a relationship with them, view them as you would view your own parent or your own grandparent that at the basic, a base of what David is doing for Mephibosheth, all the rest of the stuff, the reason he addresses him by name, the reason he takes the initiative, the reason he's generous is at the base of it. He views him as his son, as somebody that he loves. I'm so grateful that here at Calvary, our special needs ministry is not in the missions area. It doesn't come out of our missions budget. That when we calculate how much money we're spending a year on God, us, and others, special needs ministry is not in the others category. It's in the us category. That's because people who God has given to us that have special needs are not out there for us to minister to. They're us. (laughs) They're Calvary Church. They're who we are. They minister with us. We minister with them. It's not a matter of, okay, Lord, you've given us some charity that we can do. You've given us some people that we can. That's not how this works at Calvary. At Calvary, they're as much a part of this church as I am, as you are, as anybody is. That this is, they're here, they're us. I don't know how else to say it. And I think that's awesome. I think that's fabulous. That's what God is asking us to do with others. Every person in this room is a David in some way. You may have special needs. That doesn't mean you're not a David. You are a David. There's some area in which God has blessed you that you can be a blessing to others. And at the end of the day, I told you, there's really two different ways to read this story. One is where God is David and one is where we're David. But those two readings are actually the same reading. Because this is exactly what God did for us. He took the initiative to come and find us. He chose to call us by name. He gives us meaningful work to do while still taking into account our limitations and our weaknesses and our failings. He's extravagantly generous to us. And he views us not as charity cases, as his children and he gives us the opportunity to do the same for others let's pray together lord i thank you for your mercy and your grace i thank you for your love thank you for accepting us as your children god thank you for blessing us lord it's so great that you love everybody equally i think that is awesome But Lord, we also see that you work out your blessings differently in each of our lives so that we might be a blessing to others. Lord, would you help us to do that? Would you open our eyes to see the Mephibosheths in our lives that we might be able to bless them? Not simply as acts of mercy, but as expressions of love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.